Uh, but if this is your first time with us or first time with us in a while, uh, we have been journeying through the book of Acts for several weeks now, and uh, we are concluding our second mini-series through the book of Acts, Faith Empowered Today. Uh, we'll jump into a new one starting next week called Faith Persecuted, and we're just taking the book of Acts and we're breaking it down based on themes that we're seeing as we go verse by verse through the scriptures. And today's message is entitled Faithful Gospel Ministry. Faithful Gospel Ministry. We've seen a lot of stuff happen so far through the book of Acts. Uh, we've seen the Holy Spirit come upon the believers as, as Jesus told them to go and wait for the Helper to come. We've seen that happen at Pentecost. We've seen uh, Peter and John get into some issues uh, because they are boldly proclaiming Christ and they face some persecution. Well, we're going to see some more continual persecution today and we'll see that continue to play out through the book of Acts as we continue to journey through it. But today we look at this and the apostles are faced with a decision. They're faced with a decision. Uh, they're, they're either going to fold, if you will, on what they've been commissioned by God to do, or they're going to look in the face of suffering and persecution, and they're going to continue in the calling that God has placed on their lives. Now, as you know, we, we stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and I know it's just a pinch uh, longer than normal, but if you would, let's stand together as we read through this passage of Scripture this morning, starting in chapter 5, verse 17. And the word of the Lord says, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came uh, and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came to them and said, Look, the men whom you put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But when Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose, claiming to be somebody, and a number of the men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all followers with him were dispersed and came to nothing." 
after him, Judas the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is a plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you are so good. Lord, we are so thankful for the opportunity we have now, Lord, as we have gathered here this morning to, to cry out to you in worship, to sing songs of praise to you, Lord. And now we sit under the teaching of your word, Lord, your holy, living, and active word, the God-breathed word. So, Father, now, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, I pray that you be with me. Keep me out of the way, Lord. You use me as your vessel. Lord, speak. Speak to our hearts, Lord, right now. Father, as we are gathered right now, Lord, at, at, at this, uh, this time of worship, Lord, we know that our brother Matt in uh, Calvary New City is, is about to be preaching here in the next little bit as well. And we just pray for him, proclaiming the word today. Lord, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in this passage today, we're going to see that faithful gospel ministry will bring both opposition and blessing for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, I pray you are, you'll see the first point there on the screen. <clears throat> Excuse me. It reads, the Lord is with his church in faithful gospel ministry. The Lord is with his church in faithful gospel ministry. 17 and 18 again say, but the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Here it happens again. They are there boldly proclaiming Christ before the people. They are following the commission that Jesus gave to them to go and proclaim the gospel. They are doing so. And here they face persecution. They are faced with being arrested and thrown into jail. It says there that they were filled with jealousy. The high priest and the people that are there with him, they are filled with jealousy. They're jealous that the apostles and the church have the attention of the people. The attention is not on them. Them being the religious leaders, they should be the ones heard. They should be the ones that have the attention of the people, yet they don't. And that brings this welling up of jealousy inside of them, which we see, as we've read a few moments ago, it leads to this enraging attitude and this desire to want to permanently be rid of the apostles by death. They are frustrated. They are jealous. And because of that, they throw them in prison. Now, this is not just Peter and John this time like it was prior. Remember, at the healing of the beautiful gate, when all the attention came upon the people, they were arrested. <coughs> Excuse me. They were arrested. They were thrown into jail. They were told, don't do this again. And here they are with the apostles, and they are proclaiming Christ. They are not listening to what they were told because it goes against the commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll preach on its own. 
Whatever the Lord says in his word, we as his followers obey. And when there's something being told of us to follow or to do that is contrary to his word, we have to stand against that. Even in 2021. But these believers, they are there and they are not listening, so they are thrown into prison. The high priest and the council, they're all there and they are not worried about if the words that are coming out of their mouth is heresy. They're not worried about God being proclaimed correctly. They're just worried about the fact that nobody's listening to us. So we'll throw them into jail. Be rid of them. Throw them in jail. Let's see what happens. We all know this jealousy is destructive. It is not a good thing. This is a prime example of it right here. Verse 19 reads, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, let's stop there for a second. Here God providentially intervenes. God intervenes by sending an angel of the Lord to come in and make the way to say, hold up, they were arrested, Uh uh-uh, not on my watch, get them out. And they are let go from the prison that night. And then in verse 20, the angel of the Lord says, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Luke tells us the angel's purpose for coming as he writes. What is this message of life? It is the message of salvation. It is the message that these believers were commissioned to go and proclaim. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been commissioned to go and proclaim. It's the message that never ends. It's the message that gives life. It is the message of why Jesus went to the cross to suffer and die in the place of all mankind's sin. This message of life, the angel says, go into the temple. Go and proclaim it. And what an example of the followers. There in 21 it reads, And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. That's 21a, if you will. Let's stop there for a moment. They hear the angel tell them this. They are let go from the prison at night. There's no walls being knocked over, no nothing. The angel comes in and he lets them out. The guard, as we'll see in a moment, they're still there in the morning, but the prisoners are not in the cage. They've been set free. At daybreak, they hear what God has told them to do. And through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they are there the next day teaching at daybreak. At daybreak. They're not even waiting until after breakfast. They're not waiting until lunchtime. At daybreak, they're in the temple being obedient to what God told them to do. Man, that'll teach I want each of us to see a common theme that we see all throughout the Bible. This thread. Every time God wants his will to be done, he commissions people to do it. And we see moments where there's mistakes in people's life. There's sin that takes place. But God's will still is done. We saw it done through Abraham. Saw it done through Moses. Saw it done through Noah. We've seen it done through King David. Those are just some examples. Here in this moment, these believers, they respond immediately. We see it in the Christmas story. When the shepherds are told that the herald has been given to them, hey, the Messiah has been born, go. Scripture says that they go with haste. 
go quickly. It's an immediate response. The followers, when Jesus says, follow after me, Scripture says that immediately they went and followed him. These believers, these apostles are no different. Jesus has just done something so incredible in their life. He has commissioned them to go and proclaim the gospel despite the cost, as we've talked about so far through this series. And this necessary response comes about. They go and they do what they're told. You know, the apostles could have very easily said, nah, 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 nah. Peter and John, y'all already told us what happened to you before. You got arrested. Now you got us in this pickle. We were here overnight. Thank you, God, for releasing us. I don't want to go back. But thanks be to God, they don't do that. They say, all right. We just spent the night in jail. It's probably a good chance that there's probably something worse coming. But God just released us, and he said to go. So if our God says go, we go. God graciously speaks to his children via the Holy Spirit that indwells believers. God calls us to do things, and hear me out. God calls us to do things that are very uncomfortable at times. God calls us to get out of our comfort zone for the sake of making his name known. God calls us to get out of our comfort zones for the sake of the kingdom advancing. You've heard it week after week after week. There is a cost involved with following Jesus. And as we see in this passage today, suffering is going to come about. But you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. You have been saved. We should look at the face of suffering and say, bring it. All for the sake of God's name being proclaimed. Look at 21b, the second half. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council and all the sin of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. The next day has come. High priests don't have a clue what's happened yet. He gets everybody together and he says, hey, go and get them out of the prison and bring them in here. Let's see what's going on. 22 and 23. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. Stop there. They go. They don't see him. Uh-oh. We got a problem. Let's go back and tell them what happened. We found the prison, 23, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when they opened them, we found no one inside. They're gone. They're gone. you imagine the guards in that moment? Wait a second. Hey, Bill, you, you put them in this cell, right? This is the one we took them to, right? They're gone. They're shocked. Now, look at 24. When the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. I'd say they've been greatly perplexed ever since Jesus' resurrection, wouldn't you? Wait a minute. You're saying that the next day they went to the tomb and he wasn't in there. Okay, so we need to come up with a lie to cover this up. Wait a minute, they're not, in the, they're, they're, they're not in the cell? Oh boy, what's going on here? Wouldn't you be shocked and perplexed too in that moment? Especially them in this moment. They are engulfed in sin. 
They don't want the name of Jesus being proclaimed, so they did what they thought they needed to do to shut them up. And yet they still are perplexed by what has taken place. Look at 25. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. What? They weren't in the cell. They're inside of the temple teaching. Uh, High priest, they're doing what you said not to do. 26. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They are afraid because the people are listening to the church. The people are listening to the apostles' teaching. They are being very attentive. They're paying attention to what's being said. There's a crowd that's gathered around. Wait a second. What is going on? You're telling us these things. This is very, this is very enticing. I want to hear about it. What is this? Tell me more. And as they see that, the people are there. They're thinking, wait a minute. We've got to do this peacefully or else we could lose our lives. So they go and get them and they bring them back. They bring them back to address what is going on. The Lord is with his church in faithful gospel ministry. These apostles are faithfully doing what God called them to do. And yet God shows that he is there with them. Jesus promised them before he commissioned them. Right before he ascended into heaven, he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is a helper coming for you, the Holy Spirit of God that will indwell you. And God shows there in that moment, although you be arrested and persecuted for what is happening, for proclaiming my name, I am with you, I will release you. God is with his church. God is still with his church today. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers faithful gospel ministry. The Holy Spirit empowers faithful gospel ministry. Look at 27 and 28 with me. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Here this questioning begins. The high priest indicates that we charged you not to teach in this name. He won't even say the name of Jesus. But we told you not to talk in this man's name. To teach about him, about what he apparently has done. We told you not to do it. And he says that they have filled Jerusalem with the teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon him. I.e., they are responsible for Jesus' death. So what was their problem with that? Well, they're very frustrated that the apostles' teaching has spread like wildfire, and they're frustrated that they are being blamed for Jesus' death. Because, see, in the Old Testament, to lay someone's blood on someone is an Old Testament expression that is a charge for murder that brings upon death. You can think of it in today's terms like the death penalty. They did not want to be accused of that. They were worried that the people may try to come after them. And kill them for what has happened to Jesus. 29 reads, 
But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Let's stop there. You need to just memorize verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. I alluded to it a few moments ago. This is the word of God. It is living and active, sharpening a two-edged sword. It is the God-breathed word. If we see anything, we are to live as, as civilians in this life. Yes, we are ultimately civilian, uh, um, citizens of heaven. We should, we should live a life that is glorifying and honoring to God. We should listen to the, the teachings and, and leading of the people that are above us because God has ordained for them to be there. But anytime in our lives that we see that there's something contrary to Scripture, we have to stand against it. We have to. And we have to do it in a God-honoring, loving way. In this moment, they are told, you are not to teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter says, uh-uh, high priest. We will obey God rather than men, period. So if you're going to bring something, then just bring it. But we will obey God rather than men. Let that be your life's charge. I will obey God and follow him through whatever he wants me to go through for the glory of his name. Even in suffering, even in trial. Look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. The God of our fathers, this points to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one whom the, the Sanhedrin, the high priests, the Pharisees, they should know. But obviously through the example of what we've seen play out in the Gospels, even now, that's not the case. Their hearts are callous against God. And Peter again points to the resurrection first and foremost. And hear me out. This is critical. Because without the resurrection, there is no good news. Without the resurrection, we have Jesus die and he's done. The gospel hinges on the resurrection, period. Thanks be to God for the resurrection. And it's so important and critical to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ that you must boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter points to that first and foremost. And then he says, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Peter again points to the truth of what happened to Jesus. It was the high priest. It was the fellow members of the people around them chanting, having Jesus killed. They conspired to have this happen. They wanted to have it happen. They wanted Jesus to be shut up. They were tired of it. They said it was heresy. But the Messiah was standing in front of them living his life on display, sinless. And yet they still conspired to have him killed. When he says that there, Peter's quoting from Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, and it says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hangman is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance. Now, we all know, because we have the word of God, that Jesus wasn't responsible for any crime. Much less was he responsible for one that deserved death. So why does Peter do this? Well, he's pointing a lot of things out 
to the high priest and company, but he's wanting them to understand. Wait a minute. You're trying to conspire. You try to put all this stuff together to have Jesus killed. We can remember in the Gospels from Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by their deeds. This is the Pharisees in them accusing Jesus as a drunkard and therefore attempting to establish a connection, a reason for why Jesus should be crucified. It was all part of their plan. We've got to get him done. We've got to have this over with. And Peter is tying it all back together. You had him killed. Verse 31. God exalted. Peter's still talking here with the apostles. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Peter does the same thing that he did at Pentecost, declaring that God exalted Christ at his right hand. Now, I'm not going to read them to you, but I want you to jot it down in your notes for reference. Put Psalm 16 and put Psalm 110. Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. These are ways to show an establishment that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of David's throne. He would be the one to sit on David's throne. He would be the one who eternally reigns supreme. Now, in what Peter said there in verse 31, he says two things very important. He says, one, that Jesus is leader. This can be interpreted, this can translate as author or founder. He is the author, founder of salvation, of life. He's the perfecter of faith. Secondly, he says, Savior. So beautiful. And don't miss this. In the Old Testament, as God is speaking... We, say, we see that he says that he is Savior and there is no other. By Peter in this moment proclaiming boldly, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, that Jesus is leader and Savior, he's pointing to the fact that he's fully God and fully man. He's equating Jesus with God. He's showing that Jesus is divine. And lastly, Peter says to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That right there is a statement that goes and points to the promise fulfilled of the prophets. God promised that he would provide repentance and forgiveness where he would establish his new covenant with his people. Prophet Jeremiah says in 3134, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Aren't you thankful that that promise has been fulfilled? That God does not know our sin anymore? Because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice that he made for us. There are many around us that need to know that truth. 32. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I love it here. When Peter and the apostles point to this beautiful reminder. They were witnesses. 
the apostles seen the risen Jesus. It was a couple months ago, but I said it and I'll say it again. No religion can say that. No other religion besides Christianity can say that because any little g-god that there has been has died and there is no more or it was nothing to begin with. Jesus Christ was there in the beginning, as John tells us in the prologue of his gospel, that Jesus was there in the beginning and he will be for all time. He is God. It's so beautiful for us to see what he has done. These men were witnesses. There is no other eternal being who sits over this world sovereignly reigning but God Almighty. There is no Savior who died and resurrected other than Jesus Christ. There is no other spirit that is holy that indwells the life of believers and is there as the helper until the day of Jesus' return except what our God has given to us. Except our God. So Peter's laying it down. We are witnesses to this. And the Holy Spirit bears witness on our behalf. He says all those things. And we have to remember, and this is probably one of the last references I'll give you. But Jesus said in John 15, 26-27, a reminder of this. When the Helper comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Church, the Holy Spirit empowers faithful gospel ministry. So remember that as you are fulfilling the call on your life as a follower of Jesus. Don't get it twisted. Just because it says gospel ministry, it's not just referring to Brian and Walter as pastors. Every single day as we live our lives for Christ and we're ministering to the people that are around us, our family, our friends, loved ones, neighbors, co-workers, as we are engaging these people, we are in ministry. We are living our lives for Jesus prayerfully. And we have to remember, you are not alone. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you and is there. To speak on your behalf. He will give you the words. So do not give in to the fear of the enemy to say, you don't know nothing, so don't open your mouth. You have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. Speak. You've been told this time and time again by us. If you get in a moment, you're like, man, I really don't want to answer that because I don't have a clue what to say. Tell them, brother, sister, I don't know the answer to that, but please give me time. Let me follow up and I will give you the answer. There's nothing wrong or nothing to be ashamed about with that. But take the step. Take the step. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy to say, nope, I can't do that. Nope, God can use somebody else. Nope, I'm sure they've already heard that from somebody else. Even here in the Bible Belt, even here in the South, there are people who have never heard the gospel proclaimed to them. 
We have so many people moving from other states, and we can't sit here and think, man, they've been in Charleston their whole life. Out of most people that you encounter on a daily basis, most of them are probably not from here. You don't know if they've heard the gospel once. If God empowers you through the Holy Spirit to step out and to do it and to speak, step out and trust him. Boldly proclaim the gospel as you have the moment because the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and he empowers you for the gospel ministry that each and every one of us have been called to. I don't care if you work. I don't care if you're retired. I don't care what it is. If you have grandkids, your grandkids need to hear the gospel. If you have children, your children need to hear the gospel. Brian, my kids are all grown up and they're gone. Well, guess what? You've got neighbors right next door to you that you've built a relationship with prayerfully or that you will build relationships with. Start there. But know that the Holy Spirit of God empowers you for gospel ministry. Lastly, number three, faithful gospel ministry commissions. Faithful gospel ministry commissions. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Peter and the apostles give the refute. We're not listening to you. We're listening to God, not men. This is what you did. This is why we do what we do. So it makes them so angry. And it makes them want to retaliate. It makes them want them dead. But then 34... Again, God's providence. A Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, sorry if I'm butchering that, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. This guy stands up and he says, Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't kill him. We need to talk for a second. We need to get our heads together. We need to think through this. And because he had such favor amongst the people, he spoke, everybody stops, ears perk up, and they listen. It says, put him outside for a little while. 35. And when he said, excuse me, and he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. 36. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all that followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. 37. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So he tells them, like, hey, these are things that have kind of already happened. This looks kind of similar to what I've seen before. These things happen. Those people that were leading that charge, they were killed, and everybody just peaced out. So this may not be something to worry about just yet. 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. First part of 39. But if it is of God, you will not even be able to overthrow them. What a wise, profound statement. He tells him, like, hey, look, basically, if this is of man, it's going to happen just like the other ones. Nothing's going to come of this. But I'm going to tell you right now, if this is of God, if this is of Yahweh, 
if this is of the God whom we say we serve, there's no way that it is going to come and just pass on. If it's God's will, it will take place. And then listen to the profound statement that he tells them there in the second half of 39. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. (laughs) Tells him all those things and he says, listen, if it is of God, it could very well be that you're found opposing God. That's bad news. You don't want that. And so they hear what he says and they listen. Look at verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they decide not to kill him. They decide to listen to the wise words that were spoken to them. And they say, well, we're going to let him go. Oh, wait, 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 before we let him go, beat them. Because just in case this is a thing of man, we want to make it known, don't play with us. So beat them. And after you beat them, we'll tell them not to do it again and we'll let them go. And so they beat them. They beat them for proclaiming Christ. And after they beat them, they say, don't do it again, now leave. And look at verse 41. Look what Luke tells us. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They are beaten. Their lives are spared, praise God. But they are beaten. They're told not to speak, yet they rejoice. They're not rejoicing in the fact that their lives were spared. They're rejoicing in the fact that they were able to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. What a powerful testimony of the apostles. They're rejoicing. They're praising God. They were grateful that they suffered for the sake of making Jesus known. And no matter what happened, Jesus was the most important thing to them. And making his name known to the world was their priority. They knew that at all costs, it meant that they could die. But man, they were going to proclaim Christ. It meant that no matter what, wait, you're going to beat us, fine, we'll take the beatings, but we will not stop. Because look what happens in 42. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They were beaten. And just as the wise man said, if it's of God, there's no stopping it. Although they were beaten and hurt and told not to proclaim, they continued to move forth every day. House to house, in the temple, any person that they could get their hands on to stop and listen, they proclaimed Christ. And as I've been chewing on this passage, 
the one question that I have for all of us that has just continually been coming back to me, and I've had to ask my question this, myself this question over and over and over. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? For these apostles, it was worth it. It was worth being arrested. It was worth being beaten. It was worth facing death. Because the risen Lord told them to go and tell. And they would listen to God rather than men. Now please don't mishear me. I'm not telling you that there's a big revolution coming against us or anything like that. But what I am telling you is this. Every day of your life, you have breath in your lungs because God has not called you home yet. And every day, you are faced with a choice follower of Christ. Every day you wake up and you say, is it worth it? Amen. Every day we wake up with the breath that God has put in our lungs. And we open the word that he has given to us, a precious gift that believers are scratching and calling for across the globe, that we have several of them on our shelves. I know I do. Is it worth it, church? Is it worth it to have a scary conversation with a coworker who may think you're crazy? Is it worth it to talk to that neighbor? And as Pastor Walter and I have told you, hey, I've been here for five years. You've been here longer. And I haven't once come and introduced myself to you. And I'm sorry for that. I'm so-and-so. Is it worth having that awkward conversation so that you can then go and build a relationship and prayerfully, boldly proclaim Christ? Is it worth it? Is it worth being ridiculed for what you believe? Is it worth being called a bigot or being called crazy or whatever word you want to put in there? Is it worth it? And for each and every one of us, we have to answer that question. But I will tell you this. Knowing what I know that this says, knowing what I know I believe, knowing what I know Walter believes, knowing what I know the rest of our leadership believes, knowing what I know that every believer in this place should know or listening online, if you're a believer, you should know Jesus died for the sake of the gospel to be advanced. It's worth it. So what will we do? What will we do next? Will we let this come and go as just another message that you heard preached on a Sunday and we go back to our daily lives? You know, I've been thinking a lot since last Sunday when God gave a great message and we had the wonderful time of celebration celebrating 75 years. And we could very easily, church, listen to me, we can very easily fall into the trap of saying, man, God's been good for 75 years, he's going to take care of the next 75 and we can just get very chill and relax about it. Is God sovereign? Of course. Is God's will going to be done? Of course. But he wants his church to be on mission for him. If he didn't, he wouldn't have commissioned us. 
And so if it's worth it to you, I ask that you would commit to maybe start living your life in a different way tomorrow. Maybe living your life in a different way after you leave from here today. Not just saying, yeah, I'm, I'm good, going back and forth, and I'm not saying anybody's doing that. I'm just, this is just what I feel so compelled to say. We've got to live life in a different way than the way we've been living. Because we've been doing great for 75 years, but man, man, the need is so evident around us. It's evident in our homes. It's evident in our workplaces. It's evident on our streets. It's evident in our city. If we're going to do as he preached last week to seek the welfare of the city, we've got to daily, starting today, saying, Lord, forgive me for getting in the way of what you've called me to do. I repent. And I ask you to lead me. Help me see the errors and give me the boldness to live a life worthy of the gospel. So right now, before we sing, I just want us to stop and reflect. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to chew on that question for a moment. Is it worth it? And I would say if you and your spirit say that you feel God is saying, yes, it's worth it, my child. Then believer, do whatever it takes to make the gospel known in your life. And don't feel like you're doing it alone. He is with you and we are here to help you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, you are so good. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of adoration. Because you are sovereign God. You created us, Lord. You formed us in our mother's womb. You know everything there is to know about us. You know the sin in our life. Lord, you know everything there is to know because you are sovereign God. And Lord, despite our sin and shame, you have redeemed us for those who are in Christ. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die the death we should have died. To live the life we should have lived. But Lord, your grace and mercy is so rich. And it's so new every day. And God, we are so thankful for that. Father, I come before you now praying for myself and praying for every person within the sound of my voice. 
to ask the question in our lives, is it worth it? And Lord, we know from your word because of what you have done for us, Lord, that it is so worth it despite suffering that will come, despite pain, despite trial, or whatever it may be, Lord, it is worth it because you died for us. It is worth it because there are people that we know and love and people that we haven't even met yet, Lord, that are lost as can be and desperately need the gospel. So, Lord, I beg you for our church family, Lord, if you need to bring us to repentance, draw us to repentance, Lord. Lord, if you need to make us, bring us to confession and say, Lord, we confess We have not been living the way we should, Lord. We repent of it. Lord, we beg you and we ask you to use us, Lord. We want to obey you rather than anything else. We want to obey you over worldly influence. We want to obey you because you have called us to do so. That, Lord, I pray that we would respond that way. And Lord, it wouldn't be something that we do just for feel good or because we feel like it's the right thing to do. God, compel us. And boldly empower us, Holy Spirit, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. So that every life we encounter may hear the good news and prayerfully come to Jesus. Lord, it's something that we do every single day, Father. But we pray, Lord, that you would build up labors for the harvest through this church. We pray it through our sister churches. And God, I beg you, Lord... Help us, Lord, build up laborers here to be equipped to take the gospel, to be deployed on mission for you. Lord, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration. Use us, Father, for your will and your glory. Because that's the most important thing, is doing what you've called us to do. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We bless you. And Lord, we pray truly, Lord, that you would have your way in us, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.